And what I want to do today is, is to return, or I should say when we left off we were talking about uh, the stories of Abraham and we had taken a couple of weeks, two weeks, to look into the life of Abram who was later called Abraham and when we left off he was still called Abram. And I want to return to him today because there's something in his story that I really believe the Lord wants us to get a hold of. And uh, we couldn't cover it all one week or two weeks and I think this is the last week we're going to look at, at Abraham in specifics. Um, and when I say, what I want to say now is I don't want to sound over dramatic. I think you know one thing about me. I don't try to ever use sensationalism. Um, I really try not to ever be manipulative in my presentation. I really work very hard at not doing that. So what I'm going to say, I say in a very metered or measured way. Um, I don't want to be overly dramatic, but I really believe the Lord has something very special for you today as a whole, but I think specifically for some individuals, and I'm not saying I know who those individuals are. I don't. And I'm not talking about something special, meaning, oh, you're going to hear the greatest sermon you ever preached, you ever heard in your life, because I don't believe that's the case. Uh, matter of fact, my biggest concern is that my sermon today will actually get in the way with, of what God wants to really say to us. I, I was tempted to just take one sentence that I want to focus on and just read that one sentence and sit down as a way of saying, that's so important, I just want to say this. And I, I, uh, I've concluded that wasn't really probably the way God wanted me to, to handle it today. Um, and so, what I want to talk about, I'm going to get to it in a moment, and not that I'm trying to build up to it again to be dramatic, but I've got to set the stage, that as I was studying through the story of Abraham, I came to one sentence, and it just, it just gripped me. You ever have that when you're reading the Bible, and something just like, it jumps right off the page, and it grabs a hold of you, and you, you can't, it doesn't let go of you? And as I was preparing for this message, that, that's what really happened. It happened a, a while back, and this, this thing has just has been thinking, I need to get to this thing. To this, to this point, to this one, this one thing. And, and I haven't been able to shake it. And I, I think it really is the thing that God wants us to embrace today. And it's just one. It says we're going to talk different dimensions, but it's just one thing. And it's really just one sentence. And it's actually, you're going to find it's just one question that's found in the, in the story of Abraham. And it's found right in the midst of the story of God promising Abraham and Sarah that they're going to have a son. Now you probably know that story, and so we'll get to the, we're going to get to the sentence in a little while. But you probably know that story, but for those of you who might not be real familiar with it, um, we come to Abraham and Sarah, who Abraham is the patriarch of. He's, he's the man God chose to be the father of the nation of Israel that he would use to develop his plan and then eventually bring the, the Messiah through Jesus Christ. And, and with the story of, of Abram and, and Sarai, before the Abraham and Sarah, um, where they're getting old. And uh, they were unable to have any children. And God had blessed them in every other way enormously. Matter of fact, it's very specific. It said he had blessed them with large amounts of silver and large amounts of gold, lots of cattle, lots of flocks, and lots of servants. It says man servants and female servants. They had it all, but they didn't have the one thing they really wanted. They didn't have an heir um, to inherit all of it and to pass down the family name. Remember, God said to them in the very beginning, you're going to be a mighty nation. And you're going to have all his descendants. And, and he's getting old and he's saying, but I don't have any descendants. See, earlier in their lives, God had promised that they would, they would make a great nation of them in the promised land. Remember that? And they journeyed to the promised land. And here they're now living in the promised land. And it seems to them that God's promise is never going to come true. But he said, I'm going to make this great nation out of you. But you know what, God, here we have it all. But we don't have the one thing that we need. That's the, that's the air to carry on the family name. And, and one day in this, in, this, in this journey of his life, um, the journey of their lives, um, Abraham has a vision. 
Grab your Bibles if you have them and turn with me to Genesis chapter 15. If you're visiting and you're in the, the chair area, the pew area, there's Bibles in front of you. You can take one of those and if you don't have a Bible, take it home. Matter of fact, you will bring your Bibles to church. You know what I don't understand is when churches that don't have Bibles. Um, you know what, we're not trying to hide the fact that it comes out of the book, right? I want you to get to the point that this is the thing you carry with you ever, everywhere. You know what, I carry in my backpack when I go hunting? A Bible. You know what, I've had to put that baby away a number of times to shoot a deer for all you guys who are going deer hunting next week. Um, so maybe a little luck, you know, God blessing the Lord. Read your Bible, buck comes by, I'm not sure. Um, Genesis chapter 15, the first six verses let's look at. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Now that's one of his servants. It's his, his chief, ser- chief servant who was born in his house, but he's a, he's a servant. And Abraham said, since you, have given, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and he said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars. If you are able to count them, and he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Abraham is going and saying to God, God, you know, I got it all, but I got nothing. I don't have the son. And God has, gives him a vision. He takes him outside and he says, speaks to him. And he says, look up at the sky, Abraham. Can you count the stars? Have you ever tried to count the stars? It doesn't work. Count the stars, Abraham. And if you can count the stars, Abraham, that's how many descendants you're going to have, Abraham. And you know what? It's not going to come through Eliezer of Damascus. It's going to come through your own body, through your own lineage and heritage and heir. Um, that, that will be your own descendant. And, and it's going to come from you. And he says, Abraham believes him. And one of the great verses that's quoted in the New Testament then is, and he believed him and it was counted to him as righteousness. That he, he owned it. And God said, I like that guy. He believes me. But guess what? He has his vision. If I were God, you know what? Nine months later, they'd have a baby. But I'm not God. And nine months comes, and no baby. And nine more months comes, and no baby. In fact, years later, after the vision, where God, can you imagine God walking up to you, taking you outside and saying, look at the stars of the sky. I've never had an encounter with God quite that dramatic. And it happens, and it's years later, and there's still no, uh, no child. So Sarai comes up with this plan, and she says, I have an answer for us. Let's take my maid, her servant, named Hagar, and, and Abraham, I'm going to give her to you as a wife, and, and you go and you have relations with her, and, and then we'll, you two will have a child together, and that will be your heir. It'll be, it'll be a descendant from your body. And uh, he can be the heir of everything. And guess what? It worked. They get together, they have a baby, but guess what? Hagar had a son, his name was Ishmael, but things didn't go so well. And Sarai gets mad, it says, at Hagar because Hagar was somehow treating her poorly. I don't really explain how, but she's at least looking with contempt upon her, like, ha-ha, I had the baby, you didn't. I've been the servant this whole time, and now I'm the one with the upper hand. And so Sarai, I wouldn't want to get her wrong side, she says. I don't want her around. Abraham says, do what you want with her. And he says, send her out in the wilderness. 
gives her some little thing of water, a little, a little skin of water, gives her some bread, and says, get out of here with your baby. And they start walking in the wilderness with the intention that she's going to die in the desert. And fortunately, that's for another story, I'm thinking of preaching that next, for the life of Hagar. But fortunately, because we have Hagar and Ishmael a bad name, because we all talk about the, their, their heritage that came out of them, and it is a problem, but God said he's going to bless them. Um, so finally the Lord finds Hagar and sends uh, her back to Abraham and Sarah and says, just listen, just, just, just do what she says. Just submit, it says, to your mate, to your mistress, to, your, to the one who's over you. So she submits and she goes back. Then 13 years later, remember, we think of this like God just gave a vision and it happened. All this time has passed between then and there. Now another 13 years later, when Abraham is 99 years old and Sarah is, is 89 years old, they're sitting there and three men come up to him. Not really three men. It's, it's, it's three angels. And many people believe it's not even three angels. That it's two angels and the pre-incarnate Christ. And they come up and they, they talk to Abraham and they give him an incredible prophecy. Flip over a few pages to chapter 18 of Genesis. And these three give a prophecy to Abraham. Starting in verse 9 of 18. It says, Then they said to him, where is Sarah your wife? And he said, there in the tent. And he said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah your wife will have a son. And listen, Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. And Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord or my husband being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Saying, shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At that point, at the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Right there in the middle of that prophecy is a sentence that's gripped me. Right there in the middle of that prophecy is a sentence that I believe God wants to grip our hearts today. It's verse 14. Where Sarah's laughing at it and the and, and angel knows that she's laughing and looks right at Abraham and says, Listen, buddy, is anything too difficult for the Lord? And that's the verse that's gripped me lately. Is anything too difficult for for the Lord. And I think that's the thing that God wants us to key in on today. You see, Abraham and Sarah found out that nothing is too difficult for the Lord because at the age of 100 and the age of 90, Isaac was born to them. The heir that would carry on the family name, the one who would, they would, God would use to build the nation upon, the impossible became possible through Isaac. And you know, I think this is what happens. We read the story like this, or we hear other stories, and the question is asked, is anything too difficult for the Lord? And we say, of course not. Nothing is too difficult for the Lord. But here's my conclusion, and I think this is the true for maybe all or some of us today. We don't really believe that's true, though. We say it with our mouths, but in our hearts, we don't really believe that it's true. You see, this is what I believe God wants you to know today. That those things in your life that you have given up on, those things in your life that you know are a promise from God, 
those things in your life that were God spoken words to you when you were in prayer or maybe at an altar praying or, or you were just walking by the way and the Lord visited you in some special way or He, he made some word from his, from, a, from his word become real to you and it became a promise to you that those things in your life that you have given up on that He has not forgotten and He has not given up on and that nothing is impossible for God no matter if you're laughing at it right now or not. You see, I feel that what he wants me to communicate to this church today is that nothing is impossible for him and he really wants us as a congregation to begin to believe that. You see, I think, just by the Spirit, I think that some of you have given up hope for certain things in your life. You've begun to believe that God's not going to heal you. You've been struggling with something. You begin to believe that God cannot heal your broken marriage. You've given up on believing that God can actually reach your wayward children. You've given up on believing that that God dream that He gave you at one point in the past of your life will ever come true. And you're beginning to say, uh, it's not going to happen. I think some of us are like Sarah right now, and I've been in that boat many times where we're laughing inside in unbelief. And you say, it hasn't happened yet. You know what? It's just not ever going to happen. It's not going to come to pass. I believe God wants us to know something today. That nothing is too difficult for the Lord. But you say something. You say, but Pastor Mark, you don't get it. You know, I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed and I've waited and I've waited and it's just not working. I want you to understand something today. Understand this. God often brings His people to an impossible place so that when He answers, there will be no doubt that it is Him who intervened in the situation. God often brings us to a place that seems absolutely impossible for it to work out, so that when He then does come and answer the situation, you and everybody else knows the only answer is that God in heaven is real and He really did intervene. And if you take your Bible and you read from Genesis to Revelation, friends, there's one resounding theme that's repeated over and over and over and over again. It's this, that God brings His people on purpose into places that are impossible so that He can show Himself to be real because He's the only answer. Think of Moses leading Israel out to the edge of the Red Sea. God could have taken them any other direction. But God brings them right out to the edge of the sea. And they're looking at the armies coming and they're saying, We're, we're toast. We're dead. Pharaoh and his armies are going to destroy him. And God is sitting up in heaven saying, Just wait. He's, he's, he's right there with a pillar of, 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 of cloud over the top of them and, and fire by night. And he's saying, Just wait. I'm right here. And God says, Moses, lift up the rod. And the sea parts. God brought them there. Why? Why did God bring them to the place and allow Pharaoh's army? God could have just had a dust storm eat Pharaoh's army up. Right? Couldn't he have done that? If he can take the sea and part the sea, he can do whatever he wants. He can cause a great big tornado to suck them up and take them all to heaven. He didn't do that. Because people could have said, oh, what a bad coincidence. You know what? Right at the time, a tornado came by and got them. We never heard the story. That's not what God did. God let them get right here. The situation's impossible. I'm dead. There's nothing to do. And you're looking, there's no escape. And God says, lift up their staff. You lift up their staff and the sea parts. And they go through, it says, on dry ground. But as soon as they go through the water, this says the wagon, the, the wheels of their chariots begin to, to, to weave in the mud. And all of a sudden, boosh, 
and Pharaoh and his entire armies died. You know what I think is amazing about that story? The very thing that Pharaoh wanted done to Moses. Remember when Moses was a baby? What was he supposed to be done to him? Drown him in the Nile. Take him and throw him in the Nile and let him die. And his mom said, I'm going to make a basket. Covers it in pitch and puts him in a basket and puts him safely in the Nile and he's plucked out of there. The very thing that Pharaoh wanted done to, to Moses was done to Pharaoh and his army. He drowns in the Nile River. Why all that? Because God displayed his power in rescuing them. There's no other answer. From cover to cover. Think of Daniel with me in the lion's den. All the popular kids' stories that we tell. Daniel in the lion's den. He refuses to stop praying. They take him up. The, the emperor, the king is, is upset. But they, I got it. It's the law of the Medes and the Persians. It can't be broken. I made a law. Throw him in the lion's den. And they, they put the stone over. And they king, sing, the king puts his, his signet ring on there to, to, to mark that it's locked up. And the next morning he comes early. He said he didn't sleep. He didn't eat. He gets up and he says, Daniel, are you all right? And Daniel says, hey, king, don't worry about me. My God shut the mouths of the lions. And they pull him out. Why did God do that? God did it for one reason. To allow it to be seen that he's really real. He had to take his people to an edge of an impossible situation and to prove that it wasn't that, oh, they're toothless lions with no, that they're not hungry. They ate a cow before he was thrown in. So they're not hungry. They take all the people that accused them, throw them in the same pit. And what's it say? Before they hit the ground, their bones were crushed and they were all eaten. It wasn't that they weren't hungry. It was that God did a miracle. And guess what happened? Everybody who looked on said, you know what? I'm going to glorify this God. This God, God validated um, that he was the real God on that day. Think of the story related real close to, to, to his friends, to Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why would God take a couple guys who don't, who don't bow down and they take him and they say, okay, you won't bow down to my, to my idol. We're going to throw you in the fire. And they take him to an impossible situation. The most impossible situation I can imagine. Heating up this furnace seven times hotter than it's ever been. Taking these three guys, the guards who carry them, the strongest in the kingdom, carry them. It's so hot, they fall over dead. And they go into the fire. And all of a sudden the king says, Hey, uh, friend, didn't we throw three guys in the fire? One, two, three, four. I see three, no, I see four, and one looks like the Son of God standing in there. And they say, hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come on out. And they come out and they go, you don't even smell like smoke. Why did God do that? To show those people that I took you to the impossible situation, that there's absolutely no answer, and God came through. The pagan rulers saw the reality of God as they witnessed the impossible. Friends, from Genesis to Revelation, we see the, the stories over and over and over. The list goes on and on. God will let a situation become impossible before doing a miracle so that people recognize Him in the miracle. That's why He does it. You say, but you know what? That's not a lot of fun. Pastor Mark, I don't like coming up to the edge of the Red Sea. I don't like getting thrown into the fire. I don't like getting thrown in the lion's den. You say, well, it might not be the legitimate, or you know, a real fire, a real lion's den, a real Red Sea, but you know what I mean. You come in a situation in your life where there seems to be absolutely no answer. It's impossible. It can't work out. You're, you're, nine, you're 89 and, and 90, 99, and you don't have a baby. And God promised you a baby. And you're saying, there is absolutely no answer. You say, it's no fun to be in that spot. Friends, you know why God does that? Do you know why He does that in our lives? Because his ultimate concern is not our pleasure. His ultimate concern is not whether or not we have some discomfort. 
His ultimate concern is having people come to know him and find eternal life in him. And here's what I need you to understand, child of God. When you walk with God, remember you made a covenant? You entered into a deal with him? Well, what happens when you enter into that deal with him is now you become his. And sometimes he accomplishes, or oftentimes, he, all the time, he accomplishes his will through his children. And sometimes your plotting through adversity until a miracle comes has little to do with you and a lot to do with those people who are watching. It has everything to do with the guy who threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. Everything to do with the king who threw, who threw Daniel in the lion's den. Everything to do with the two million Jews following behind Moses saying, we would be better off dying in Egypt. And God says, uh-uh. I'm going to bring you to the brink. You watch these people go through it. And as they go through it, other people see. They see God working in you and they realize that He really is. Because you know what? That's His ultimate objective. To give everybody else what you got. What you got is Him. And he wants the whole world to see that. And sometimes He takes us right to the brink of a hard time so the onlookers look on and then God comes through miraculously and they go, oh my goodness, all that thing, stuff you said to me is real. Your God is really real. And they say, I want to serve that God. You see, every single person knew that God, the God of Abraham was real when his son was born to a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman. She was so amazed by it, she sat and laughed when God himself said it was going to happen. Everybody knew. Friends, that would not have happened had that child not come out of a situation of complication. Had the situation just born that, Abraham, you're going to have as many children as stars in the skies. You're 37 years old. Your wife is 27 years old. Guess what? Abraham, glory to God, I'm pregnant. And you have Isaac, and little Isaac grows, and he becomes Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the heir goes on. But you know what? That's not what God said. God said, I'm going to show you that I'm real. And he takes this couple to, to 100 years old and 90 years old, takes them into the most complicated situation you could ever have to having an heir. And then he says, guess what? It's time to have a baby. Friends, the complication provided for the miracle. So often we get in a situation of complication and we whine and we complain. Friends, ask yourself at times, is this complication leading to a miracle? Because oftentimes the complication is the route God's going to take you to give you a miracle. Understand this, friends. Your impossible situation is an opportunity for a miracle from God. So what God wants you to know today is He does not want you to lose heart. Nothing is impossible with God. Say that with me. Nothing is impossible with God. Now, if you believe that, let me give you a little warning. Because some of you is happening, what I believe God wants to happen today is some of those God dreams are beginning to be reignited inside of you. Some of those things that you believe God spoke to you a year ago or five years ago or ten years ago, some of those things you've been holding on to are beginning to reignite inside of your life. And I want to give you a little warning as that begins to ignite inside of you and start to say, you know what? Nothing's impossible for God. Let, let, the, let the army come to the edge and push me in the sea. Nothing's impossible. Throw me in the lion's den. Nothing's impossible. Toss me in the fire. Nothing's impossible. I'm walking with God and I'm going to believe that He's going to fulfill what He fulfilled. And you're standing and your faith's beginning to be rejuvenated and you're beginning to believe again. Well, let me give you a little warning. Oftentimes, I'm telling you in advance, so when it happens, you won't be shocked. Oftentimes, when you hold on to a promise from God, other people around you will think you're nuts. Other people around you will think you're crazy when you hold on to a promise from God. They'll say things like this, well, just let it go. Or, or you know what, just move on. 
Or you know what, Fred, it just must not be God's will. But you're saying, but I know God spoke to me. And I'm talking about things that you know God spoke to you about. And you're holding on to it. You say, but I know God spoke to me. And they're saying, no, 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 no. It must not be the will of God. You want to know the reason that they say those things? It's not that they don't love God. It's not that they don't have faith. Matter of fact, they may have more faith in their life than you've ever had in your life. You know why they say those things? Because they haven't had a word from God about the situation. They haven't heard from God about the situation. Not because they're not praying. Because it's none of their business. God doesn't go around telling you what He's going to do in me. That's why this whole deal of people always walking up, Oh, God told me you're going to be a Mary, this person to be a missionary. You better be careful with that stuff. Because God communicates to His children. He may use that to confirm. When God speaks in your heart, you know it's, it's the Lord. So God hasn't spoken to them about the situation. It's not between them and God. It's between you and God. So they look at it and they say, it looks crazy. Abraham, get your head examined. Boy, you've been in the sun too long. You're a hundred. Your wife's not going to have a baby. She's 90. Give up on it. Eliezer's a nice guy. Write the deed. It's for him. And they're going, no, 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 no. God promised, and everybody around, oh yeah, God promised. They walk away, they're going, what a bunch of kooks. You know, they think God promised them they're going to have a baby when they're that old. You know what? They thought they were nuts for believing that they'd have a child in their old age. And you know what? You would have thought they're crazy too. And so would I. And I probably would have. But if they were on national TV and said it, I'd come on Sunday morning and said, can you believe those crazy people? You would have thought it, and I would have thought it. You know why? Because we haven't heard a word from the Lord. Because it's none of our business. It was their business. But friends, understand, if God has given you a promise, never let it go. If God's given you a promise, keep on believing and keep on praying and keep on trusting because as we see from the store and we see from cover to cover in the scriptures, nothing is too difficult for God. Amen? Now let me give you another warning as your faith's beginning to rise up. You're beginning to say... It's going to happen. God's stirring it up. It's going to happen. God promised me that thing. It's going to happen. You're going to, you're going to say, I'm going to stand on this, on this faith. And, and I, you know what? That baby's coming, whatever that baby in your life is. That baby is coming. Well, let me give you another little warning. Other than the people around you are going to think you're nuts. Here's the other little warning. And it's this. I think we often derail God's plan to do the miraculous in our lives by our own man-made solutions to our situations. We derail what God wants to do because we get in the way and do it our own way. We say, oh, i got a different way to figure this thing out. God, that's the end result you said. Well, I can figure out if I manipulate this way, that way, that way, and that way, I can get to that same end result. We often do it. Think about Abraham and Sarah. When they decided to take matters into their own hands by having Abraham have a child with Hagar, the results were disastrous. Sarah tried to kill her and her baby. That's a pretty big disaster. You know, how would you like that? Honey, I want you to kill this person for me. You know, we throw people in jail for that today. You know, and eventually he lives because of the grace and the provision of God, but then his descendants become enemies of Abraham and Isaac's descendants. It wasn't God's plan for them to have a child by Hagar. It was their plan to have a child by Hagar. And I really believe we very often inhibit a miracle by getting in the way of God. And I want to tell you a very real story how this one time when we didn't, when Suzanne and I didn't get in the way. Um, we were planting a church. This was years ago. We were planting a church. And you've, always, you've heard me say this before. We were broke. 
Church planters are broke. Just understand it. When you, in the Assemblies of God, we don't pay people to do it. We take the hardest job, and generally you start with no people. And so you go and you just do it. So, so we're broke, and I told you before about a miracle that happened one time into that. We'd driven our car until the transmission wouldn't work, and, and uh, I said, I'm not borrowing money. I've got principles to live by. And, and God miraculously called God guy up at 2 o'clock in the morning I hadn't seen in 20 years, and the guy calls me up and gives me a car, brand new car. Praise the Lord. It's a year later. It's a year after that. We're still broke. <laughs> you know, anybody live in that world? <laughs> you know, we're still broke. And uh, the other car we have to get around is now shot. And I'm saying, well, God, <laughs> I don't have any money. And I'm off working one day doing construction work to, to have the privilege of pastoring the church. And Suzanne's in our kitchen with a young lady who is a new convert that she's discipling. And she's spending time with her sitting at the kitchen table and they're talking. And the thing that they're talking about is um, the fact that Suzanne's feeling pressured by herself to go get a job. Because she's always worked full-time for the church and hardly ever drawn any pay for it. Um, and so she's a full-time stay-at-home mom. And she's doing all full, full-time plus um, doing church stuff. And we are together debating if she should go get a job. Now, understand, I'm not saying people shouldn't work. I'm not saying mom shouldn't work. We just knew for us at that time, we had a word from the Lord. The Lord had told us, don't do it. I'll take care of you. Now, I'm not saying that applies to anybody else in your situation. So don't walk out of here and say, Pastor Mark said wives shouldn't work. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying God spoke to us about it. Sorry, ladies. <laughs> you know. Um, and so what we're debating it. We're debating back and forth, should Suzanne, at that point in time in our life, our boys were little, Josh was probably in fourth grade, and, and uh, Brett would have then been in what? First grade. And so we just really believed, and we were, and we were Suzanne was volunteering in the schools five days a week, and it was the avenue God was using to give us influence in the community so we could lead people to Christ. You know, and so it was his plan for us to be involved in his volunteer work so that the gospel could spread and the church would, be, would, be, would grow. And so um, we're trying to figure out what to do. I'm a pretty logical guy. You know me? Logic, sequential order. And that's, that's the way I function. And we're starting to say, but our car's broke. But we never have any money. And so uh, we start thinking, maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah, probably, probably, probably. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we should have you go out and get a job. And Suzanne's sitting at the table with this young lady. She's sitting in our kitchen at the table. And she's telling the lady, and she just says to her, lady who, by the way, now, partially because of that encounter, is a missionary in Africa. Um, because she believed, she believed that she saw this story happen. And Suzanne says to her, you know what? God doesn't want me to get a job. I'm not going to get a job. I work full-time in the church and full-time as a, as a mom and a, and a wife and this is what God's called me to do and if I do that, it's going to divert me from what God has called me to do. I'm not going to do it. I've had a word from God on it. This is what I'm going to do. And as the words came out of her mouth, I'm not going to do it. The phone rang. You know who's on the other end of the phone? Me. I was off working, helping a guy install cabinets in a house. When I was in there, I can never, I'll never forget, I was kneeling on the ground next to my red toolbox. And as I'm kneeling down to the ground next to my red toolbox, my phone rings and I grab my phone out of my pocket and I, and, and I answer the guy and it's a guy on the phone that I haven't seen hardly forever. And he, he says, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm helping a guy install cabinets. He said, God told me to do something. You guys need a car? 
I said, I actually do need a car. He said, I just bought a car from a dealership. He, I forget what he called it. He was a guy who had a background in car dealerships in his past life. And he, he said, uh, a friend called me, and I, they, like a cream puff. That's what he said. We got a cream puff that came in. The little old lady from Pasadena who had the car in the garage that was like 10 years old and had never been driven and like no miles on it. And he goes, the guy called me up and says, you know anybody needs a cream puff? And he goes, I bought it for you. Do you need a cream puff? <laughs> and I said, better than any state fair cream puff I ever had. Bring it on, baby. And so I had no idea what kind of car. And we literally drove down to a dealership and said, what car is ours? And he said, that one. You know what? God had a reason to do that. The reason he took us to that route at that time is he had a lesson for us to learn. That had we taken matters into our own hands... And believe me, I have, this has always been my deal. I tell every church planter who asks me, because this is a reputation Suzanne and I have in this district for planting churches. They go, it's impossible. You guys never had any outside support. How did you do it? And almost never even worked side jobs outside the church. And I said, God just provides. They go, that's what I'm going to do. And I said, uh-uh. If God tells you to do it, that's what you do. Otherwise, get a job and get working. And I said, here's, here's, the, here's the way you define it. The day the first bill is late, you're out of the will of God. So the first bill, the first light bill you can't pay, you're making a mistake. Because if God's going to provide, God provides often at the 11th hour and the 59th minute. But He always provides at the 11th hour and 59th minute. He parts the Red Sea before the enemies destroy you. And if the 11th hour and the 59th minute to come by and it's not provided, you miss God. So get a job. And so I can honestly say, in our entire lives, we've never paid one bill one day late. Ever. Ever. But we just live by faith. But you know what? The lesson is this. Had we taken matters into our own hands and went against what we believe God was saying about Suzanne's life at that time, then God would not have done the miracle. And He would have let us solve the problem by ourselves. He would have let us go get the job and do it. Get the job, buy a car. But you know what we would have lost in that? Number one, it would have diverted Suzanne from the ministry he called her to at the time. And number two, the girl who was sitting at the kitchen table, who's now a missionary in Africa, who's believed that God could do the impossible. The reason she believed it wasn't because somebody said something, oh, God can do the impossible. Is there anything too difficult for God? It was because these two people were struggling, trying to figure out how to make ends meet, and, and getting angry with God at the time, and saying, you know what? It's not fair, God. You know, I just get a different job. I'm sick of pastoring, God. You know, pastors don't ever say that, do they, Bruce? Never. Church planters never say that. You know what? Never. But sometimes we do. We didn't say that. And we inside we said it. But this lady said, you know what? God did a miracle. And it built her faith. It had nothing to do with me. It had nothing to do with her. Maybe it did to build our faith. But it had everything to do with her, the other lady. Who got, she said, well, boy, if God did that miracle for you, you'll do this miracle for me. And she said, I'm going to Africa. And she went to Africa as a missionary. Friends, people are watching. You know what? We waited and we received a miracle and that young lady saw the reality of God. That's what God wants for us today. That's what God wants for you today and for me today. Church, answer a question for me today. Is anything too difficult for God? No. Is anything too difficult for God? No. No, it's not. Nothing is too difficult for God. And those God dreams that God has put inside your heart that He is going to use to transform this community. He's going to use you. He doesn't use me. I'm just a little teeny part. He uses you. Those God dreams He's given you, 
He's going to make come to pass. Trust God. I don't, you know, sometimes He takes us to the 11th hour and the 59th minute, but He does that for the other people looking on to see His reality. It's all right to be in that spot. I've learned that when I'm in that spot now, I just say, okay, keep my eyes open. What's God going to do? Keep looking around. And He always comes through. Stand with me this morning.